Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up to the minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V. For your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by Bet Online. The game starts here. Are you looking for a higher potential return on your savings? Turn to our sponsor, Save. As an SEC-registered investment advisor, Save safely combines the best parts of saving and investing with its Market Savings program. Market Savings is a savings product that provides you with market returns instead of interest. The returns come from diversified investment portfolios based on your individual investment profile. The return from the investments is paid to you at the end of the selected investment term. But investing comes with risk, right? Well, with SAVE, your deposit is FDIC insured and never used for any investments. The current variable APYs are 9.07% for the one-year product and 7.9% for the five-year product. So what does this cost you? Well, SAVE only charges a fee when your investments make you money. To learn more or to sign up, visit www.joinsave.com slash state. That's joinsave.com slash state. The link to the website is in the description of this podcast. State of State invites you to join Save. Plenty of coaching news within the Big Ten, especially with Big Ten football this past week. I'm Tom Hannafin. He's Justin King. There is a lot to dive into, not only with what's going on with the Big Ten coaches, but also we heard from James Franklin yesterday. So there's finally some pieces to dive into in the offseason. Winter workouts are ongoing, of course, but this is just a fascinating time in regards to the evolution of college football. We touched on a lot of this stuff last week, but now this is really beginning to affect the Big Ten. Not that it wasn't already, but the shakeup that we saw this past week is significant. Uh, if you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, turn on notifications. It really helps the show. Rate us as well on audio-only platforms and follow us on X, Instagram, and TikTok at State of State Pod. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We want to start first with the coaching carousel in the Big Ten, and we're going to get to James Franklin's comments. I think we have to start with Ohio State, the root of all evil. I'm kidding. But <laughs> that's where the most churn has been. Uh, if you remember, about a, was about a month ago, Justin, that Bill O'Brien was named as the new offensive coordinator uh, for the Ohio State Buckeyes. That yes. is no more. Jeff Halfley left Boston College. He was the head coach of the Boston College Eagles. He now is off to the Green Bay Packers for a lesser-paying coordinator job. And Bill O'Brien is elected to stay in the Boston area. Bill O'Brien didn't even coach a game for Ohio State. He is now the head coach at Boston College. So let's let's dissect that one there real quick. That is 
a lot to extrapolate all at once because one of my first thoughts was, man, what a great opportunity that was for Bill O'Brien to go to Ohio State. That would have been really difficult for Penn State fans to stomach, but a great opportunity under Ryan Day. And then he sees a head coaching job, and he also doesn't have to relocate him or his family. He can stay in the Boston area. He was just with the New England Patriots. The movement there alone between Halfley and O'Brien is fascinating. What did you see? Let's start with Halfley because I think that was the the one that was a little bit more surprising when you see a head coach um, leave to go to a, a coordinator role, right? I mean, some would say that it's a, a lateral move because being the head coach and kind of stepping up to the NFL, taking a step back. But it's interesting because and it, and it shows where we're at in the college football space where you would take a demotion to an extent of running your whole organization. To go to the NFL, different quality of life, no more recruiting, no more NIL. Now you're just back to coaching football and getting into the tactical aspects of being a coach. Sometimes when coaches haven't had that chance of being a head coach, all they can think of throughout their career development is how do I become a head coach? And then once you become a head coach, you're like, uh... I don't want to do this anymore, right? Like besides the big paychecks, if there's anything comparable or just a quality of life, you opt for those different type of opportunities. And I think that's what we saw with Halfley. And to go to Bill O'Brien, his is more standard um, for the course in the sense of get a head coaching opportunity, you take it. Especially, like I said, there's some coaches that get that head coaching job and they're like, I don't want to do this. And there's some that get it and they relinquish and they're like, Hey, I got to get back to running my own show because I don't want to listen to someone else. You know what I mean? So different personalities, but I think the opportunity and the sway back and forth between NFL and college football is going to pick up and significantly here in the future. It's a natural thing for fans to look at someone like Halfley going from a head coach to a coordinator and be like, well, why would you do that? Like the word demotion, it is accurate because he's taking less money and but at the same time you're you're switching from the college ranks to the NFL which obviously the differences between the two are becoming less and less by the day but still it 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 isn't like demotion doesn't feel like the right word i'm not damning what you're saying or anything but it's just odd to look at and also for bill o'brien this is a guy who was a head coach at penn state went to the houston texans got everything that he wanted he had the control that he wanted didn't get the results that he wanted then he goes to Alabama to revamp his career. Then he goes to the New England Patriots once again, familiar territory. And then it looked like Ohio State as an offensive coordinator was like, okay, so maybe he's just destined to be a coordinator. There's nothing wrong with that. There really isn't. I was stunned when Brent Venables eventually left Clemson and became a head coach at Oklahoma because it just seemed like he was destined to do that forever. You're right, because I don't think it is a demotion from the standpoint of Halfley going to the NFL, but we think of Chip Kelly, that move is a little different because that is a demotion in conference to leave UCLA, sunny California, which was always like a hot spot for a coach when we talk about quality of life, to go live in Columbus as the offensive coordinator. I think that was more of a slap in the face to the university and showing where the leverage is with these top tier coaches. Like if you set up your university, your organization to be a destination for coaches, hey, now you get the top coaches that come in. You get, you're going to start transitioning to get the best players that come in because it's not going to be based on like how well they recruit. It's 
it's going like, okay, what players going, what coach is going to get me ready for the NFL? And that's going to be based on what they have done, not how well they shake your coach's hand or how much they remember your birthday and all these different things that come with recruiting. But like, yo, who is actually developing talent? I think we'll see a shift in just the college ranks to more of the developers. We're going to have to still recruit and have some cutthroat aspects of the business, but who's actually developing and deploying talent. So that's going to be an interesting thing to look at in just the coaching sphere across the board. Just like, hey, it's one thing to be able to get a job before you be able to recruit. Now it's going to be able to, to recruit, manage relationships, and develop and deploy players. That's key. Player development is something James Franklin talked about in his press conference on Tuesday. We're going to get to that in a little bit. I want to focus a little bit more on the Chip Kelly situation. It sounded like at UCLA – he was not getting the resources that he wanted nor felt that he needed to ultimately help the team rise up the ranks, whether that be in the Pac-12 or now the Big Ten. It looked like a really good opportunity ultimately for UCLA to join the Big Ten. Chip Kelly has done a nice job recruiting there, but there are certain academic standards there that have made it a bit challenging for him. Uh, and also there were rumors like a few months ago, you're even coming into this season that he was half in half out was not entirely committed to the job. And that's, you know, we, as like the average people look at this and they're like, really, like they're paying you tens of millions of dollars and you can't be focused on this. And ultimately going to an offensive coordinator role, he's going somewhere where a it's Ohio state. So it's like, man, you're, you're doing just fine in terms of the company you're, you're meeting up with. And on top of that, Ryan Day is the head coach, used to be the quarterback for Chip Kelly at the University of New Hampshire. So there's this familiarity that once the teacher is now uh, underneath the pupil, so to speak, it's a little bit different. And this leaves UCLA promoting from within. They make Deshaun Foster the new head coach of UCLA football. Deshaun Foster, people might remember that name, had a fantastic career for the Carolina Panthers, one of the best to ever come out of the UCLA football program. So you promote a guy that played for your team and was already within the program. I know you liked that promotion, but it is something that there are people saying like, man, there might have been better candidates altogether, but he fits and he was certainly well received. There was a great video online when he was revealed to the team. They were amped that Foster was named the new head coach. I think there's a, there's a shift in college sports in general. I mean, outside of the obvious NIL and all these different things, but even how schools are leaning into whatever culture is built to have some re resemblance of the school culture. Like Deshaun Foster is somebody that's like a mainstay at UCLA. When Jim Harbaugh was at Michigan, he was like a Michigan guy. Someone that like they're like starting to go back to that, that core, I guess, centric of, I can't even say alumni, from that standpoint, but to go back into the into the coaching phase or like guys moving around and doing these different things, I think it's interesting when you like uh, have a coach that they become a they have to compete against other universities that have different. Um, I mean, resources or it's mm -hmm. just an unfair advantage. So like even when you talk about like a Chip Kelly wanting to leave, I mean like I understand like that's a thing where we talk about head coaches. Like what kind of support am I going to have if I'm going to be required to perform at this level and my competitors have these resources to compete at the same level that I'm competing at. I think it's a it's the elephant in the room amongst college football coaches in general. It's like is are you being rewarded for doing more with less or is it just about winning 
<laughs> because like the same the, the same support the support isn't the same at every university so like even in the ucla and just dealing with them from coming up dealing with players and understanding how they're going like they weren't spending money in nil right like they weren't really big on doing anything from that standpoint so when you're talking about a talent acquisition driven sport if everyone's not all hands on deck to make sure that we're getting the best players why am i going to be laid out to be the sacrificial lamb if i'm not getting the resources to necessarily win and that, that goes across the board um in college sports when you see some of the arguments that uh, arguments or the debates at penn state or when ryan day came out and said they need 13 million and they mm -hmm. went out and spent 13 million but across the board i think coaches are looking at opportunities to see is it set up for me to have success not just for me to have that job so that that focus on staying power which now players should be thinking about as well like hey these guys are looking for the best situation. You need to find your best situation where you can stay and have that staying power so you can have some level of benefits from this game. Well, and also the thing that jumps to mind, Justin, and you tell me, is that Chip Kelly, as an offensive coordinator, is a pretty hot commodity because he has a fabulous track record as a play caller. So it it fits, and also he'll get more money than the average offensive coordinator because he's been a head coach. He's been a successful head coach at the college level and obviously been a head coach at the NFL level. So the drop-off in finances is like, yes, you know, a guy who's made his money at this point. So there, there will be less, but you're going to a program in Ohio State that has clearly gone out and spent, whether it's on the coaching staff or in the transfer portal and recruiting. And they look like they're primed to win now, whether or not that's your real priority or not. But at least you're not with a program where it's like it feels like there's a ceiling. And maybe that's what the overall deterrent is. Every upgrade in, in college coaching is a somewhat of a seesaw type of battle. Like you don't necessarily always go from GA to position coach to head coach, right? Like there might be right. a situation where you're at a, a group of five and you're a, a coordinator and to get to a power five spot, you have to be a position coach where you make a little less money, but you're setting yourself up to put on a performance or show your evidence of impact. I think going into this season, if you think he doesn't have the talent at UCLA, Chip Kelly with an um, uh, Ohio State field personnel offense is scary. And so like, mm -hmm. yeah, I would think it's more of a chess move than it is even like, uh, uh, you know, bending the knee or of anything. Cause I think he's going to be a hot commodity if Ohio State comes out and averages 35 plus points this year, the way that he draws up things. And I mean, probably uh, trying to get back to the NFL, but like that is a route that I would draw up for a coach if I was consulting with like, hey, all right, take that offense coordinator job, show that you could put up 40 points a game. And then when they're looking for the next offensive guy, I mean, Ohio State's going to be on every week. They're going to be talking about Chip Kelly and he's, I mean, he's going to produce when it comes to the offensive coordinator thing. Him as a head coach versus the offensive coordinator, those are two different worlds. I'm I'm afraid of the offensive coordinator, Chip Kelly. That's a, that's a dangerous dude. <laughs> I agree. I think something that should be concerned about for the foreseeable future as long as he's there. Now, Ryan Day historically has called the plays for Ohio State. So how they balance that or if that's, hey, handing off the reins entirely or whatever role that turns into, if that's – a to use the Kansas City reference from a few years ago with the Chiefs, Eric, uh, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. Andy Reid was calling the plays, but Eric Bieniemy was the offensive coordinator. They struck that balance. So what Ohio State does with that, and literally it feels like a fleet of Lamborghinis that they have to work with, that, that's <laughs> going to be good for Ohio State. So they're going to be tough to deal with this upcoming season. Uh, and then speaking of Ohio State, uh, you also have to talk about Michigan, the reigning national champions. 
Yes, they did lose Jim Harbaugh. However, they did promote Sharon Moore to be the full-time head coach. So that steadied the ship. And then they brought in Wink Martindale to be their defensive coordinator, most recently with the New York Giants. Very well-traveled defensive coordinator in the National Football League. One of the best defensive coordinators probably walking the planet, Justin. What did you think about Martindale going to Michigan? Because it scared the hell out of me. I mean, I think it's a great hire for um, Sharon Moore up there and just falls in line with their roster of elite defensive coordinators that they brought in since um, Don Brown back in the days. And then you get Mentor. I mean, it, it goes along again. Another institution that is proven to be like, hey, if you're a top defensive coordinator, I would kind of try to operate and get to a place like that. So, again, another NFL guy coming back to college. And so it's, it's it's not surprising, but it's it's a good hire for Michigan, to say the least. <laughs> Defending national champions. So with this churn in regards to coaching staffs, uh, a byproduct is that the uh, there's an extended 30-day window for these teams with the transfer portal. So, for instance, Alabama's – got extended because of Nick Saban leaving. There's closed on February 10th. Washington's closed on February 11th. Arizona's closed yesterday on the 13th. Michigan's is open until February 23rd. UCLA's is now open until March 10th. So there's this second lease on life to dive into the transfer portal. Granted, a lot of the best talent available has been grabbed already. And don't forget the transfer portal is going to open up again after spring ball. So when you look at this as someone who's dealt with the Penn State staff specifically, and it's something James Franklin touched on on Tuesday, is that specifically Penn State tends to start their spring semester about a week earlier than most schools across the country. And he said that's a disadvantage because if you're scrambling to try and get a kid enrolled in January, you really have to hustle as opposed to other schools have about another week or so that they get things started after their Christmas and New Year break. So there's a lot of layers that go into this in terms of like, all right, you got to make sure this guy's able to get on campus in the right amount of time, his credits transfer, or however many years of eligibility, the classes he's got to take. There's, there's all these headaches that come with it. And you understand this ebb and flow that's occurring now between college football and to the NFL. And then vice versa, the guys who want to deal with these headaches, God bless them, Justin, seriously. <laughs> I mean, like there, there's coaches that really enjoy like that developmental gap or filling that developmental gap, right? So you get NFL guys that they get tired of dealing with football players that make a lot of money that don't really want to take hard coaching. And then you get, you know, a bunch of seemingly hungry high school kids and not too hungry anymore. And they're eating pretty well, but some hungry high school kids that are trying to get to the NFL and you've been there and you've coached them and you know that they're going to hang on to every word that you're going to say. That's, I mean, that's Nirvana for a coach. It's like, man, there's somebody that's here that has that ability and you can see it. And then to be honest with me, that's the one thing that kind of drew me back into the college space beyond just staying in the NFL and the personnel sphere, because it was like, all right, when I worked for the Browns, I mean, it's like analytics, it's charting, it's the how, how are they doing it? What are they doing? And that's kind of, and we go into a little bit of the a why of the person, but there really is no responsibility of development of that person. Like this dude is a grown man. We're just trying to make sure that we, if we spend this money on him, that you know, we don't get fired for spending the money, right? right. It's like he's going to produce. Yeah. He's got to produce where it's completely different where you have situations in high school where a player, you just see so many endless possibilities, right? Like it's like, yeah, he, 
hopefully we he makes it and he plays on Sundays and he does this thing. But man, he's smart. He can do this. And like they're changing their whole trajectory in life. And you see that development, the developmental phase from 14, 15 years old to 20, 20, 21, 22. And it's like you see people telling you their dreams and then you see them live it out. And like that whole development phase is just like a really cool thing to see. And some coaches at the NFL miss that part and want to get back to it. But these are all the the minute or the little subcultures that happen within elite sports that we're kind of losing a little bit with some of the 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 I would say the new rules, but there aren't new rules, just new dynamics in college sports. <laughs> well, you lead right into what James Franklin had to say on Tuesday perfectly. Um, part of his comments were on the changing world of college football. And I think he echoed a lot of the sentiments that you just said. I have a quote here from James Franklin. He said, up front, first of all, quote, I know no one wants to hear about the complaining of the state of college football because of the money. I get that. He said, we went from one extreme to the other in college football. My biggest concern is that people are leaving college football that would have never left college football in the first place. All these other things are taking you further away from developing kids. People have been getting into this industry for the wrong reasons. I believe if you're coaching college football, you should be coaching it because you care about the kids and their total development academically, athletically, socially, spiritually, the whole package. I couldn't agree more with the way that he phrased that. And it's something that I know there's a lot of Penn State fans that go at James Franklin because he makes $8 million a year and because this is a fan base that desperately wants to see Penn State get back to a national championship. I get that, guys. And I support you guys to an extent. But there is that realism. There is that realism of what he's saying that I think is so important for all of us to comprehend is this thing is moving sand beneath his feet. And he's constantly trying to keep a hold on things. And let's not forget, he's replacing three coordinators. And he spoke throughout his press conference trying to keep things on track in terms of here's what we do here's our your must-haves your non-negotiables as coordinators and how we can keep some things the same but make minor changes so that it's not going to be this huge shift for players we have you understand our roster you understand what we're trying to do from a philosophical standpoint on and off the field and to get all these things to fit and oh by the way keep the train on the tracks and continue to win and then compete in this new big 10 and hell whatever the sec and big 10 partnership turns into there is so much that can develop here, but to hear that the bedrock of what James Franklin cares about is developing kids on and off the field. I think Penn State fans should take a step back and wonder how many coaches really now in college football give a damn about that, because I'm personally very, very happy to hear that come out of James Franklin's mouth. I mean, I think that's a, a very well stated point. And it's like being honest, like who's going to be honest about how they feel about about that when it comes to developing kids because i think everybody in college sports will say they care about it until you start going past the water coolers and you hear you know subliminals that they don't really understand that they're letting out because that was my that was my thing right that thing that hurt me where i got into college and i came up under the jumper turner era so like i really experienced like people that cared about my development i mean it was put to the test whether i got i mean yeah i got arrested my sophomore year just the way that the staff and all the different things operated around me. I was like, okay, these guys really cared. It wasn't until I got to the NFL and really saw 
different players from different universities and how they were prepared versus how I was prepared. And I started realizing like, oh, wow, wait, we have a real competitive advantage where you can like point out in a locker room, like, oh, this kid went to say an SEC school or this kid went to like a Michigan or this kid went to a, a Penn State or this kid went to another day. Like you start seeing the differences. And then when you jump back into the game and you realize like, oh, this is a, tr- a real business. Everyone's motive here is not to de- de- develop kids. It's to get the bottom line to where it needs to be, or this accountant needs to make sure that this budget is right. This person that's recruiting, yeah, he wants to see this kid go to college, but he needs to make sure that there's a certain amount of stars. Yeah, this coach wants to see this player develop right, but like if he doesn't land this player and get him right, like he's going to lose his job. So then the you know then the the motivations or or DSD incentivized or de what am I trying to say? Um, de-incentivized de-incentivized to really care about the players because to care about the player is not necessarily to care about the business because they go they're not hand in hand it's the player versus the business not necessarily like a, a, a harmonious relationship and so once we realize that you do need some levers that keep things fair that's why we have collective bargaining in the NFL and different places, and we just don't have that structure in high school or college sports. State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out their Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise today. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. The comments James Franklin made that I just quoted were coming off of how the press conference began because he was asked about what I was just talking about, this potential Big Ten and SEC partnership. There are ongoing conversations uh, between the commissioners and soon, what, uh, according to James Franklin, the head coaches are going to have conversations with the commissioners this week. Uh, Franklin opened up his press conference saying that these conversations are, quote, positive. Commissioners, in a lot of ways, are in a lot uh, are the only people that can fix this thing right now, said Franklin. I'm glad the two conferences have stepped up to have a leadership role. We have some tremendous challenges in college athletics as a whole. And here's the really important quote. To see our conference and the SEC step up feels like the only solution. That's a scary prospect that considering this slippery slope that we're all going down, that everybody's looking to the big two, SEC and Big Ten, to make some real change and to really provide a shift in the landscape of college athletics altogether. We all understand it begins with football, it goes to men's basketball, and then it goes down from there. Unfortunately, it's no disrespect to the other sports regardless of gender, but those are the money makers, and we're coming back to the same conversation we were just having. But it's uh, it's scary that it's gotten to this point, Justin, and you talk about it all the time, that it's like, man, what are, what are administrators doing within these individual schools, within these individual conferences? And it's good to see these commissioners within the Big Ten and the SEC stepping up and at least trying to have these conversations because if you don't have that top-down movement, that alignment we all talk about, nothing's going to change. So it's it's nice to hear that these conversations are happening, but it's like, we got to wait and see. 
Yeah, I mean, it is good that the conversations are happening and they just have to know that it's a, a fluid situation. I know a lot of times in college sports, I mean, administrators and leaders, they do not want to make a mistake because you're typically penalized, whether it's from a recruiting violation and things of that nature. But like everybody, all the leaders need to understand that things are going to change. Like this first year after 16 uh, teams going into the playoffs or 12, however many going in something might shift where it's like, Hey, this game plan is off or gameplay is wrong and continue to innovate and change. I think if they adopt that mindset, this transition into the, in this new era shouldn't be a problem. Now it's when you start setting rules and being arrogant about not changing them because of the information that you receive from them not working or whatever the case may be. And then getting stuck into a situation like this, because they could have paid all these players $25,000 a piece four or five years ago and everybody would have signed and none of this stuff would have happened, but they didn't do it because everybody was punting. <laughs> yeah. Not taking ownership. Well, and then uh, this broke yesterday, ESPN and the college football playoffs are in agreement to a six year, $7.8 billion rights extension. With a, with a B ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so now it's like, Hey, that revenue sharing, uh, Anytime we now. don't we don't we don't have enough we don't have enough yeah right <laughs> but it's Great. funny because like that operation to do it though there's just like coming up with a salary cap and then we got to get into more of the unionization and employment um, safeguards uh, at that point but it, it it we're here and I just hope that the players are ready for that operation to perform at that level because you're gonna have different requirements that. It's not going to be up for negotiation. Yeah, honestly, not to pat myself on the back, but the more that I thought about it last week, talking about how NFL style contracts, a pro style contract for a college football player or you know basketball player, whatever it is you want to say, I think it feels necessary at this point because to everybody ticked off that these guys leave early or they transfer, or they don't play in the bowl game. It's like, okay, well, you can do that if you offer the kid a contract. I'm, doesn't necessarily have to be employee status. I mean that we, you and I fleshed that out last week, but still, there's there's all these things that you can do that would solve a lot of things in college football. And these guys get paid. Everybody, everybody's happy, and we can move forward with without losing what college football is all about. And that's the thing that really bothers me. I think as a fan and as someone who went to Penn State is not necessarily seeing my school abandon its values or anything. Again, what James Franklin said about developing kids, I love to hear that because that's what Penn State fans and the Penn State community cares about. But it's seeing all these fun aspects of college football that everybody falls in love with, the traditions, the customs, the cultures, the people, the places, everything. Seeing that all go away because of just money. And that's what's really bothering people at this point. No, and I will say, just to piggyback what you said, if you guys go on to YouTube, check out Blue Chip Academy. But about a year ago, we had this only entertainment at co-founder. We had we, a whole conversation is about NIL not being what we should worry about. We should be worrying about the NLI. And we're pretty much for the whole episode breaking down what a college, a high school to college contract should look like and all the different things that you should be adding to go into it and just saying forget nil this is the thing that you want to approach whether it's insurance premiums being covered making sure that you own all your content when you get to the school like just different things that you can continue to manifest and have value moving forward like if we want to talk about nfl style contracts like what does that actually look like in a college town like you're gonna have to have somewhere to stay you have to have some like 
the different ancillary benefits that come along with being a college student that fitting into um, your national letter of intent, which is essentially what you're saying, like an NFL style contract. There's a lot of change coming. Uh, there, there were some elements of the press conference with James Franklin yesterday that I touched on that I'd like to come back to in the thing that I think we really need to understand as a fan base is the three new coordinators is a pretty big deal. It, it completely changes the perspective of, of the staff. And now, granted, James Franklin was talking about how, fortunately, most of the analysts the GAs are intact. You know, you and I were even talking about Jordan Lucas, who was hired. You know, it was initially reported as a recruiting coordinator. Now he's transitioned to being a, a GA within the program. So it's just finding the right homes for these guys within the, the coaching staff structure. But still to take in Andy Kotelnicki at offensive coordinator. Okay, what do you do well? What do we do well? How can we marry these things and meet in the middle? Franklin talked about that at length. Um, Tom Allen, especially somebody that's been revered within the coaching world for a long time. What does uh, Tom Allen do? What does Penn State have in terms of personnel right now? How do those philosophies mesh? What works? What's different? How can they make it all come together? And then Justin Lustig getting more out of special teams, kind of piggybacking off some of the things Stacey Collins did last season. So that turnover is significant. And one thing that James Franklin said is that the players are anxious to start getting more information from the coaching staff because they want to get to the install period. Um, from your experience in winter workouts if you don't have this type of turnover it's very easy to just be like cool playbook's the same we're just kind of going through workouts i'll see you in spring ball but now trying to get it this early in february before practices start in mid-march how critical is that it's extremely critical i mean i've seen coaching changes in the nfl and that's typically how it happens you get an extra couple of weeks in ota so you go in a little earlier so you can have these different install periods and you get an extra mini camp for these transitional periods, but you really want to jump on and understand the terminology of a new coach because every player's goal on the team, I mean, literally every single player now that they have a new coordinator at each um, core, core area of the field is to earn the coordinator's trust. And the way that you earn a coordinator's trust is understanding their scheme that they're bringing. This is their IP. This is what they believe in. This is their philosophy. If you can learn their philosophy down to the terminology as fast as possible, that gives them the ability to trust you. And when they trust you because you understand their playbook, you can play faster. And then when you play faster, you typically make more plays and make an impression on the coach. And now you are locked in with that coach to be able to make an imprint on this upcoming uh, upcoming year. So I'm saying all this, say it's on the play, it's the player's responsibility, right? To do this because at the end of the day, if I'm these coaches, they have a, a longer Rolodex than you guys do. So they can always go into the transfer portal and find other players. Well, you guys find another coach. It's always a question. So it's on the players. And the players, uh, you know, James Franklin was talking about how in spring ball, that's the time to see what depth is there. And he feels really positive about the depth, believes that this is going to be a great blue-white game altogether, and that will give them some more flexibility to do more things. In years past, there's been injury concerns, uh, not having as many scholarship players available due to injury, lack of depth. And it seems like Franklin is at least excited about that. So it's like, hey, everybody's going to come into spring ball. We're going to see what we got. No jobs are going to be determined in spring ball. It's going to be wait until the summer, get to training camp. Then we'll see who the starters are. So a lot of that makes sense. In regards to personnel, spoke glowingly of Julian Fleming coming in, fitting in, kind of uh, 
it sounded almost like a military mentality, Justin, of uh, mouth <laughs> shut, ears and eyes open, and earn respect, which it sounds like Julian is doing those things. Not that he's been a bad kid or anything like that, but coming in, doing things the right way, ingratiating himself to the rest of the wide receiver core, the offense, the rest of the team. Nolan Rucci seems to be doing something different. I didn't, uh, not something different, something similar, excuse me. I didn't realize Rucci was as freaking big as he is. Uh, yeah. I, I know he's 6'8". <laughs> he's now 305. They said he's up six pounds or something like that. And it's like, Franklin said he was like, oh, when you're that big, it can be a detriment because you got to be able to bend. And he said, you know, Rucci has that bend, that ability to move. And I'm like, we, we talk about all the time, Justin. It's like, oh, big guys, you got to recruit big people. There are very few humans walking the planet that size with that skill set you don't come along those guys so we understand why they pursued Rucci so intently for years no those guys are premium they're premium in sports in general so like i said i mean philosophical approach collect big guys because they don't come around and just based on physics it takes a special player to get around those big guys right and mm -hmm. it takes a special player to stop those big guys so mm -hmm. <laughs> that's where we get you know they gotta make sure that we're understanding so going to that portal those are the guys that are worth paying for. Franklin said Julian Fleming, there was a lot of comfort and familiarity from years ago when he was recruited. Uh, comfort and familiarity for uh, Julian's uh, family as well, which is great to hear. Said very similar things about A.J. Harris, transferred defensive back from Georgia. A.J. Harris sounds like he really did his homework in the initial conversations with Penn State and that you know they spoke to him once, they came back to him, and then he had – all the right answers uh and it sounded like not because he was bending the rules or anything like that but just sounded like he did the work and he really impressed this coaching staff uh based on what you're hearing from terry smith how are aj harrison and jalen kimber as well transfer from florida how are they fitting in so far i mean they're working their way in like you said like they're not new to the college football game in general um i mean her glaring things about just their athleticism both of them different type of athletes jalen being more of a, a smooth um, smooth, twitchy athlete versus uh, uh, what's my other guy's name? AJ Austin. Harrison, Jalen AJ. Kimber, yeah. Well, AJ, yeah, AJ being just more of a, like a powerful, uh, explosive type of athlete, but they're both you know working into the workouts in a, a nice way. So, I mean, for me, I, I like to hear those things, but it's, until we get those pads on or out there covering receivers, then we'll see. What was it you said last week? We're talking about workouts. We're not talking about football yet. Yeah. So, I, cause I had, cause I mean, it'd be like an inside joke if I was just going to hear, like, just going straight off of workouts. I'm like, man, Justin didn't go hard. It, Justin wasn't a, a crazy right. workout. Like, I didn't hit anybody. You know? <laughs> but it was always, I was always the guy like, man, these workouts don't mean anything. Let's get on, I mean, let's get on the field and let's, let's compete for real. Our workouts were a little different. We were like, how so? In the sense of, I don't feel like we competed as much as these guys do now, like one-on-one. -on -one. Like, I felt like oh. ours ours was uh, just like, just just stuff to, to make you tired, man. Like, just doing drills and like, like flipping over each other. But like, you're not going against a teammate. You're just like with a group and you're just kind of going hard, essentially. And it's kind of like you're saying you're competing, but it's not necessarily like these guys are like competing you versus you who wins you lost this person won and like mm. i like the fact that it's being tracked like that would have got me like okay here we go i don't like just doing stuff to do it like or just to say like hey who's the toughest person here like man i don't i'm i'm not playing that 
game. Like I'm tougher than you. Like I don't care and I don't got to prove it. But if we're keeping track of it, I, I like I like that piece. I'd like to know what the score is. I agree with I like, you. I like, the, I like to know the score. <laughs> I agree with you on that. Um, I want to close on this from James Franklin and his press conference because I think the question that was asked was very good. And forgive me, the uh, the reporter who asked it escapes me. But I thought his question was very good. And it comes back to the way the Penn State offense has looked for a number of years. So here's the question that was asked exactly. Quote, James, you have preached continuity pretty much since you hired Joe Moorhead. To the layman, Andy Kotelnicki appears to be a departure from some of the things you have done the last six years or so. Is that a product of having seen enough of that and changing philosophy? Or is that a product of you having an opportunity to hire Andy Kotelnicki and he's too good to pass him up? I think it's an it's an interesting question because you and I have talked about it so much on this show is that the offenses looked largely the same for a number of years. James Franklin, in his response, didn't even name Mike Yersich, which I was like, boy, he must have really ticked somebody off on the way out. <laughs> um, didn't even name him. He said, the last guy that was here, I was like, oh, my God. He was like, we ran a lot of 11 personnel, but we were better in 12 personnel. And it was like, all right, having one tight end, two tight end, even sometimes three tight end sets. That's what the that alignment is referring to. Um, and it's just funny to hear how they're the, the conversation that James basically went on to have was saying there's a lot of coaches who talk about um, where's the exact quote? I think you need to have enough flexibility within your system to play to the strengths of your roster. And I'd say that is probably uncommon in coaching and college football. Everybody says that, but very few people actually do it. What do you think about that? I mean, I think it's uh, the X's and O's versus Jimmy's and Joe's argument, right? Where you have people that rely on their schematics or their IP, and then you got other ones that can relate to players and understand how to put them in situations to be successful. I mean, I mean, I had Doug Willie on my podcast a while ago. He said when he evaluates coaches, he puts them in two different categories, whether they're a teacher or a coach. And it's like a coach just kind of wants to yell and do their thing and motivate. And a teacher is actually teaching concepts and what to do in situational movements. And then those guys, when you're operating like that, teachers, like they want that student to perform to their best ability. So they put the onus on themselves to put them in that best situation, right? And so that's when you get a little bit more creative and putting people in different areas of space and attacking offenses a different way. So that's how, I, I mean, that's why I would look at it. Yeah. You know I mean, so that's the art of coaching and that separates the average ones from the good and great ones to be completely honest is how you can navigate that personnel implementation. In, and specifically the question that was asked, remember how it was, you know, saying this is a departure from some of the things uh, you know, uh, you preach continuity pretty much since you hired Joe Moorhead to the layman. Andy Kotelnicki appears to be a departure from some of the things you have done the last six years. Um, Franklin went on to say, if you look at us over the last few years, even though our offensive coordinator was more of an 11 personnel type of guy, that was not our strength as an offense. Our tight end room is one of the better tight end rooms in the country. Uh, I've talked about the position flexibility. Based on how we played the last couple of years, I don't think that was an extension of the spread offense of Joe Moorhead. What Andy specializes in is explosive plays, doing it 
in similar formations in plays that Penn State was running recently. Franklin saying, we were number one in the country in turnover ratio, but the offense did a great job of protecting the ball. We're trying to marry those two things, explosive plays, similar formations, similar types of personnel, but trying to be explosive off of that while still protecting the football. All of that sounds great when I put an off. (laughs) Does that bend your mind? Because it sounds great when I'm playing Madden, but is it, is, is that difficult to accomplish? It sounds a little a little disjointed. I mean, that's what we would all want from a philosophical goal sheet standpoint from an offense, right? But I don't think it ever works out that way. Even thinking of the turnover margin along with explosive plays. Like we know to have explosive plays, you have to risk some things and sometimes you might have yeah. some turnovers, but you do have to protect the football. So I think there's a, a way of operating and there's tactics and methods of doing all the high-level um goals or hypothesis that he kind of laid out that he wants to see from the offense. But I mean, that, it's just, I mean, that's coach talk to me. I mean, that's good, but Andy better bring, I mean, explosive plays. Uh, there it goes. Like, I mean, there's different ways of having explosive plays. We the first couple of years ago, we saw explosive plays from Nick Singleton running the ball 70 yards last year. We didn't see any. And the one that we did was a, a 60 yard bomb to Amari Evans. So like how we draw up explosive plays, I mean, that's that's just a very loose comment at this stage of the game, especially us not seeing anything that Andy's done with this personnel at Penn State. So time will tell. And <laughs> also, I think what Joe Moorhead was within that staff, within the building versus what his successors have been under James Franklin, I think those have been very different personalities altogether. Yes, that's what I'm saying. All these different things like come down into a level of translation of personalities, of comfortability with the coaching staff, like the actual talent that's out there. Like, I mean, Joe Moorhead was operating with Trace McSorley and Saquon, Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. And Miles Sanders and a ridiculous Kasicki. Like, so like, do you understand what I'm saying? So it just... Players just need to be ready to play. That's my whole standpoint. I'm not In the words of this. Justin King, Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. But we we'll <laughs> Tell us what you think. Hop in the comments. Get at us on social media, X, Instagram, and TikTok, at State of State Pod. Like, comment, subscribe, turn on notifications, rate us. Thank you for helping the show. Again, we want to hear from you guys. How are you feeling about some of the comments from James Franklin yesterday? This turnover in regards to the coaching staffs within Big Ten football. There's a lot of change, and spring ball is only a month away. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, let us know what you think of the show on social media and check out all of our content on X, Instagram, and TikTok. Search for the handle at State of State Pod. State of State is presented by Bet Online and by Blue White Outfitters. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.